I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I got a haircut. And then along with the haircut, I had a breakout, so I shaved my beard because you can't shave the beard when my hair is long because my sideburns puff out, and then I just look like I just auditioned for Oasis. And so I have to wait until I get a haircut, and then I can shave the beard. And now, you know, I, I don't know like what I mean about beards because I can't grow facial hair. Jimmy World will say, "I've seen you grow facial hair." Yeah, the last time I tried to actually tried to grow facial hair, uh, they a pandemic started. Yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. Um, I did that thing when the pandemic happened where um, I just let my beard grow the entire time. I told myself the entire time when we were supposed to do 15 days and then about a year and a half into the two years, I was like, all right, I'll shave it. And so I was looking like uh, I was looking pretty beastly. Nice. Yeah. But happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Happy, happy Friday to me. Long weekend Friday. Thank God, because this next week's going to be tough because a co-worker is out and I got to do everybody's work. So it's going to be real fuckeroony. For some reason, I thought you were going to say a co-worker died. No, 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 no. That did happen during quarantine, though. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really know her that well, but she was very nice. And they didn't say why. Well, cinephiles and moviegoers, welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. I like My to name movie, is Steven movie. Richards. Yes. My name is Dan Scully, and speaking of death, today's episode is in honor of the life and the work of a dearly departed master filmmaker who recently passed away. You probably already know who I'm referencing, but if you don't, I'm talking about William Friedkin. Kevin Hart. What? Kevin Hart. R.I.P. <laughs> We're going to put him in a tiny little coffin. The tiniest one you can find. <laughs> the tiniest coffin. And all 7,000 members of his family are going to show up, and each one of them is going to speak, but not as eloquently as his best friend, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yes. But uh, no, Kevin Hart is still with us, as is The Rock. He hasn't developed any of those ster- no. uh, steroid-based tumors yet. But uh, he's a wrestler. In fact, he's taken so, so much protein, he grew another one of himself. To make yes. twice as many movies. It's a, uh, it's going to be weird when the rock being in his fifties does just suddenly die the way that wrestlers do when they're in their fifties and sixties. But um, we'll anyway, cross that go, go to your point to before it. I keep talking about Dwayne, the rock Johnson's protein. Intake. Yes. Uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson has never once worked with William Friedkin, but William Friedkin is uh, one of the greats, one of the all time greatest filmmakers you know him because of The Exorcist. Uh, he also won Best Picture with The French Connection. Um, he did what was one of the most impossible things you can do. He remade Wages of Fear into a movie called Sorcerer. And I would say improved upon an already seemingly perfect movie. Um, Friedkin is the best. He does high quality stuff. He's the Friedkin best. He does low best. quality stuff like The Guardian, a movie... He's the freaking best. The Guardian is about a nanny that kidnaps babies and feeds them to a tree monster. But he also, you know, did a, like Sorcerer is legendary because everyone thought, oh, Sorcerer, it's going to be like Exorcist. And it's just not supernatural at all. And it opened against Star Wars. So it just bombed. But then it became, you know, known as, as one of the all time greats. So the cool thing about William Friedkin, in my mind, is that he 
he's kind of playful in the way he does things, but he always goes for the gut. It's always a gut punch. And he takes B-movie sensibilities and applies them to B-movie scripts, somehow elevating them to A-level material. (laughs) And and I think that that's, no one else can do it like him. And he's a shameless huckster when it comes to promoting his films. He is a joyous, kind, soft, and somehow also curmudgeonly person in interviews. And we love him for it. And William Friedkin is just like, when it comes to like the people who made the movies that I love, Friedkin is is. He's up there with your Michael Manns. He's up there with your Coen brothers. He's up there with your Ridley Scotts. He's up there with the best of the best of the best. And now he's really up there in heaven. And now he's up there in heaven, awaiting one day when Marty Scorsese shows up and such. But what I like about most about William Friedkin is that he's truly one of the best filmmakers in that across his filmography, he has masterpieces and he also has like a couple stinkers. And I think that's important. Uh, And I I was looking at that. He's got a few stinkers in there. Really spans the gamut there. And I I like that. I like a little, I like a little edge, you know? He's got a little edge. Sometimes his shit is a little bit too weird, but you know, it it is what it is. And so we honor him today by uh, discussing the movie that won him best picture. Um, Well, it didn't win him. It won the producer best picture, but he got best director. Gene Hackman got best actor. I believe it won best film editing. Um, But we're going to be talking about the French connection. And then a little bit later in the episode, we are going to be going over our favorite best picture winners across all of history. And um, yeah, so uh, that's that. Uh, Follow the show at Movie Movie Cast. And uh, I don't know, is there anything you want to say before we get into it? And also check out our other podcast, Hot Property at Hot Property Pod. Um, But no, let's get into it. I just finished it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you look like you just finished it because this movie, when I when I first watched it, I felt completely jacked up at, at the yeah. end of it. How do you feel? Do you Dan feel good? Dan texted me today. He like I didn't expect this because I had timed my day perfectly. Uh, I had like a, a busy, very, very busy week. So I, t- I needed to like make this day as efficient as possible. So I timed everything to the minute. And that's why we're recording normal time. But Dan texted me at like two o'clock because a lot of businesses get off early today. He was like, Hey, this got off. I got to do something and then I'll be ready. But I saw an hour left in the movie. And let me tell you, I did not expect to see that happen at the end at all. Yeah. Um, really? And I was like, Because there was also, it was one of those things too. Where I was like, How are they going to wrap it up? And I was like, Oh, they're just going to end it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll get into the ending shortly yeah. and the thematic appropriateness of it but i will say this due to you uh having an hour left to watch that places me at this very moment i'm one hour deep into french connection 2 a movie There's that a i also one? love there is a second one. There's also a straight to video or straight to TV movie called Popeye Doyle in which Al Bundy, Ed O'Neill plays Gene Hackman's character. And then Wait, also Gene Hackman there was a script for a role in French Connection 2. Yeah, and French Connection 2 fucks. It's good. Is and it... then also Wait. There is a third a French Connection. Okay, well, let me let me just drop this one piece of trivia. There's a third French Connection script that never got made, but it got reworked into another movie called Nighthawks, which is a buddy cop action movie 
starring Billy D. Williams and Sylvester Stallone that also rocks. That was going to be French Connection 3 and ended up just being its own thing. Um, I haven't seen the Ed O'Neill made-for-TV Popeye Doyle. I'm probably going to watch it tonight. But um, the first two are legit excellent. Wait, I thought... Friedkin did not return for the second one. I thought that this was based on a true story. It is and it isn't. Um, It's based on a novel called The French Connection that's about the drug trade coming from France to New York. And it follows a cop, a real cop. Um, His name is not uh, Doyle, but he did go by Popeye. And it's just sort of a, a, a true crime overlooking of the New York versus France drug cops versus smugglers kind of thing. And then it was made into a fictionalized movie. So it's true and it's not like what happens in the movie is not true, but it's based on an actual shipment of a large shipment of heroin coming in from France. That's so strange. You want it to get even stranger? The author wrote a sequel to the book of the French connection that isn't true crime it's a completely fictionalized account of what happens to the drugs once they get to America. And it's apparently not very good. But um, the French <laughs> the French Connection 2, Popeye Doyle, despite being a real piece of shit, gets sent to France to catch the guy that he failed to catch in the first one. And it's pretty wild. But uh, even even though it's like highly illogical that they would ever trust him to do another case. But... Um, um, yeah, oh, I like to, I like to try something like new if that's okay. Yes, I would like no. to just read my notes because I took a lot yes. of notes this time. Oh, and right I I took them as like chronologically, so we'll go through them. My first note is ooh nudity because I saw it when I started it. They were like rated R for nudity. I was like nice. Yeah, where did it you was, watch it? It was just a butt. Yeah, it's just a butt. But hey, just a butt. Who doesn't love some buns? I mean, butts are butts are fine. Butts um, are good. I prefer butts over titties. The opening credits made me incredibly uncomfortable. How so? There's very loud and like just black screen with just white text on it. Just very harsh transition, like appearing, disappearing, appearing, disappearing. And it just the it wasn't quite music. It was more like like a, a, a march of some kind. It's like a calamitous march. It is, yeah, and it was like really unsettling, and I think that's probably the point. But it was, it was, if that's a point, it was well done. I think that that kind of opening credits is indicative of like, like there's nothing that pleases me more than a, a gritty police procedural from the '70s. Like I love movies from the '70s where dudes in ties and short sleeve button up shirts get gritty and try to solve crimes and shit i love that kind of shit so fucking much and i think that the opening credits are very indicative of that so i agree it is i believe a little a little off-putting you know by modern standards but as soon as you get an opening credits like that i'm always like oh i'm about to get punched in the dick by this movie let's go what's old is new again you know like i remember like into the void had a really unsettling set of opening credits as did funny games and while those were oh, like yeah. psychological horror movies, it still had the same effect. And I, I, I did enjoy that from an art standpoint. Uh, my next comment was uh, Orenthal James Simpson has killed again, but this time he's white. Um, because the guy, I'm trying to find his name right now. The guy, the, the, the killer. 
the guy who's sniping at the uh, end. He looks at the beginning. Like a, he looks like a white OJ Simpson. <laughs> he's a he's a, a WM Simpson, which stands for whole milk. But only only when he wears a beanie, because when he takes it off and he's bald, it totally like ruins. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like he's yeah, he's not like he's balding. Yeah, and then he hops into a Hertz Rena car. <laughs> That's for all the OJ fans out there. Yeah. Well, I won't say fans, uh, enthusiasts. I mean, there was at a time people were fans of OJ when he was a running back for the Buffalo Bills. Oh, everybody was a fan of OJ at one point, and now yeah. it's just me. Um, I liked that uh, when we're introduced to Popeye Doyle and his partner, um, the guy from every mafia movie ever. That's the guy from Jaws. That's Roy Scheider, one of the Roy greatest Sch- American actors uh, who ever lived. Roy Scheider, who when I saw his name pop up, I was like, oh, Rob Schneider's in this movie. No. <laughs> You'll notice that right here uh, in my hand is a painting yeah. that I have of Roy Scheider and Jaws that says we're going to need a bigger boat. Um, nice. That was gifted to me by a friend of the show, Kevin Lau. Um, got that picked up for me as a Scheider, joke because he had yeah. never seen Jaws. Yeah, Roy Scheider. And he's Not also Rob the store Scheider. of Friedkin's Sorcerer. I like that when we're introduced to them um, in the middle of a sting mm-hmm. and you, you're immediately seen, you immediately see how well they work together where uh, Popeye dressed as Santa is using the yes. kids as a signal to uh, let um, his partner, Buddy Russo. No, Buddy, Buddy Russo, Cloudy Russo. That um, it's time to go in. And I thought yeah. that was a cool thing. And then, um, then they get to the beach and they're, or not the beach, but like this, like like deserted lot area, and boy, Popeye really grabbed that rock pretty quick, didn't he? Like almost too quick. Where uh, you know you think that maybe he did it with uh, predetermined intent. He's a uh, where he was like, I'm have... going. I know he's like 50 yards before that. He was like, I'm gonna grab a fucking rock. Yeah, and I'm gonna beat this black man to death because he is obviously racist. <laughs> I think what's funny about about Popeye Doyle is like. Right off the bat, he is established as just being a bad dude. Yeah, like not not just He's like a, a bad, bad dude, bad guy. Not bad in just like mean and like hard and like cool, but also bad at his job. At almost every turn, well, he's it, terrible at his job. <laughs> he, what I like of and like what I mean to say is like I think that one of the thematic points of this movie is the idea that that Doyle with the the. Uh, rights granted to him as an officer of the law is immediately drunk on power like immediately yeah. drunk on power and thoroughly drunk on power which is why i dad's got like i don't have any respect for cops because i fear that intoxication that all of us have when we when we have a little bit of power and i think that cops have too much power yeah and so perhaps i'm projecting but this movie, I, I I would say that's a lot of what the thesis of it is. And one of the things that I like about it is it's the only cop movie like this that I can think of that opens very well establishing like, like usually across the course of the movie, you move from, oh, this is our hero to this guy's not so good. This right off the bat, you're like, this guy is a piece of shit. Yeah. It's straight up just Popeye Doyle is a piece of shit. He's got justice on the mind, but he's a racist. <laughs> yeah. He is super violent. He does not care about the rules of the job. He only cares about his own ego and how it relates to him like clearing the case. He only cares about results even if those results are not there. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, he, the FBI guy that's there to like follow them is uh, oh hello we have a guest hi, hey Jenna. it's Jenna Congrats on booking the show thank you hi you booked the show she booked the show apparently she can't hear you because I have headphones on theater exile. congratulations so theater exile nice congrats Me. did Adam book it too yeah nice congrats to him and goodbye okay so long drive safe <laughs> I love you Mwah. love you love you Steve. I love you he said it back Aww, all right drive back. safe let me know when you get there okay. Mwah. You know what that means? You got to go to Pizza Hut to get Jenna a personal pizza because she booked it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. All right. See you guys later. Thank you. And when I say that's the show, I mean, not only is that the end of the episode, but we are done with movie movie because we've just peaked. We've just peaked. (laughs) (laughs) No, so... uh, but the, the point being that, like, even the FBI guy that, that was tracking them makes it very clear that whatever happened at, at Popeye's last hunch got a cop killed. Killed, yeah. And that, so that's what I the... audibly said out loud. I was like, how fucking, how is this guy still employed? And then I thought about it and I realized it's the New York City police system. Yeah. And it's he's... the 70s. So, um, yeah. He's employed because, yeah, he's an old white guy who shows up. It's just like that's at all that there is time to it. beating a black dude in a vacant lot was, um, you know, expected. You, you got your Boy Scout badge for doing that. Oh, well, and what I the one thing that I, that I like about because, like, I wouldn't say, yeah, I, there's really nothing that I like about Popeye Doyle except that I find him entertaining in a way to watch as, as we are supposed to. But I like, I like, I like his, watching him as I would watch Darth Vader as a villain. Yes, yes. But, like, and, not as cool, if that makes sense. Roy Scheider, buddy, uh, Russo, I don't think he's a bad guy. I think that he's a cop with a cooler head on his shoulders. But because he's partners with uh, with uh, Popeye, they kind of influence one another a little bit. But even at the beginning, when they're beating the hell out of that poor guy in the in the alleyway, they're doing a good cop, bad cop. And it's good cop, bad cop yeah. that doesn't even seem to be happening by design. It seems to be happening by sheer virtue of the fact that Russo is a good cop and Popeye is a bad cop. So, like, they work so well together, at least in terms of small scale results, shaking down a bar, getting a confession out of a guy in, you know, in an alleyway. And uh, they work well in that thing, even if, you know, they're not clearing cases or anything. So like it's just an well, interesting partnership to me because I really like Russo, even if he is a bit corrupted by the power, he actually still seems to have a soul. Um I agree, and I totally picked up on that on that good cop, bad cop thing like immediately. I was like, Oh, well, these these guys work together well. And I think that Buddy also like is just a kind of a victim of circumstance. Like maybe he came up in the force like wanting to be like kind of altruistic and and maybe a little naive and like now he's just like he's not completely crooked but he's like you know i'm just here to try to do my best and it i can't change everything i'm just trying to do my own thing mm. you know he's well yeah he's doing his best with the circumstances that he's given but uh i think that it maybe i shouldn't say that. like i i think he might know that they're doing good cop bad cop i don't think Popeye knows that's that they're doing good better cop, bad cop. That's much better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think he realizes, like, I'm here to get the job done and keep Popeye in check, and I care about this guy and I care about the job. But Popeye, you know, like you said, he there's the one day that he walks into Popeye's apartment 
and he has been handcuffed to his bed by a lover that he picked yeah. up. Yeah. He's completely hung over. Like this is a guy that does not think that far ahead and only leans into the vice of the moment. And uh it's a pretty pretty hardcore just uh, takedown of of what it means to be a cop and like those of us that are that are uh uh what's the word critical of cops you know that's how we kind of picture all of them is as a shade of popeye and so for friedkin and also i'll look up who wrote the script to sort of uh take this idea this ernest image tidyman of a bad cop. and robin moore yes ernest tidyman uh and uh robin moore wrote the book but uh tidyman uh, won an oscar for this adaptation um for for him to it was a real clean script criticism, real clean script to uh I'm on fire today, today, baby. You're on on fire fire today. today. (laughs) And um, no, but to take this idea, like everything that we're critical about cops and making him the hero of the movie that we root for is such a smart subversion. And I think is, so last week I went to a William Friedkin retrospective that Exhumed put on at Filamoca. And one of the films that they played was a 16 millimeter, you know, TV special that Friedkin directed called Thin Blue Line. And it's a documentary sponsored by 3M. What won't they think of next? There were so many commercials that said that. Um, Sponsored by them. It was a little TV thing that was supposed to be like, here's what our boys in blue are doing on the streets and blah, blah, blah. And it's supposed to be like an honorific for cops. But Friedkin very slyly imbues it with a whole bunch of like very transparent realities that even though they're depicted as like, these are the things our boys in blue do to get the job done at home. You're made to feel like that's fucked up and that's wrong. And so I I think that having seen that so recently is very very interesting. Like the assignment there was probably do a documentary about cops and make them look good because it's 1962. And then, then you look at something like French connection and you go, Oh, Friedkin obviously has a disdain for that level of authority. And now he has the freedom to actually do it as and not hide it in in you know uh, in a geography of cops, and instead you know but but still manages to hide it in like like my dad would watch Popeye Doyle and be like that's a good cop, <laughs> yeah exactly you know what I'm saying and yeah, like yeah. and so like he wouldn't get that it's, it's using that it's, it's using propaganda him. against itself pretty much exactly yeah. very well said. What's your next note? Um. Gene Hackman runs really weird in yeah. this movie. Um, Everybody Gets to Go to the Moon is my new favorite song. That's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the banger that they play for a good three and a half minutes in this movie. I'm oh, like, yeah. this song is, I'm, I ended up, I had to do a little bit of work while I was watching it. And so I was like, oh, quick song. I'll just, you know, I'll do this thing, release this thing or whatever. And, uh, three minutes later i'm like damn they're playing the whole song this is great i love it (laughs) it's a bop it's a total bop um but you gotta think too that comes out of a time when like we literally just went to the moon when this came out we were less than a decade out in the middle of the song there's a spoken word part which is like i can't believe how crazy it is that we live in a time (laughs) one second please she's like i can't believe how crazy it is that we got to put our hands on that shiny big bubble and I'm like, all right, let's go. I love this song. <laughs> I had a thought, though, listening to that. When she said, put our hands on this big bubble, in my head, I was like, no, we didn't. We couldn't touch that. You're not allowed to touch it. You can only touch it through gloves. Yeah. And then I thought, like, it's so crazy that we got all the way to the moon and, and you're not allowed touch to it. touch it. Still had to <laughs> use that condom, man. 
can't do that. Yeah, I, I feel bad can't, for... You cannot raw dog the moon, is what we the, learned. You can't even dog the moon. That dog, dog would explode. Yeah. Um, dogs only made it so far into space. Um, but uh, I always yeah. feel bad for Michael Collins, because Michael Collins drove the ship that deployed the lander, and then just you know circled the moon until they launched the lander back up. That guy went from Earth to almost at the moon. Now, and then he's not looking, allowed to. He's not allowed. I don't to want to spend moon. too much time on this, but you're looking at it all wrong because I would I mean, want to be incredible. He's a genius. If you get if they get on the moon and they land on the moon and like a big old snake comes up like from Empire Strikes Back and eats those two motherfuckers, guess who's in the ship on the way home already? Well, but then that's also the same as saying like, well, I'm the best because I'm I'm the distance from the moon to the earth away from that that giant worm. The fact of the matter is everyone's like oh we went to the moon and they're like oh what'd you do there and it's like well no i only went to the moon those guys went to the moon i just went to the moon it just it seems such a distance to go to not be allowed back well when you ask what we did there we left 200 tons of trash yeah uh my next a lot of trash my next uh my next point is actually these two these guys dicks would have exploded if they were cops during the war on drugs era. Oh my God. Could yeah. you imagine? I don't want to imagine. It's horrifying. Like they would have been Kings of America. They, Cause like Can there was, there was a point. Popeye Doyle with today's like SWAT gear. Oh my God. No, he would be like, he would be, yeah, he would be worse than any mass shooter. He'd be like Homelander. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like, fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, my next point is, I wish I could buy a car for $25. Dude, anytime a price is mentioned in an old movie, it's insane. I just get I get so mad. Cuz even even though like oh, 6 kilos for half a million dollars, I'm like I don't know anything about drugs. I've never yeah. bought I mean I've bought drugs but in like the private amount uh um, yeah. you know, I and this is before the weed price was of legal. the drug is named in the size of the bag. I know yes. for a fact that today that is worth at least two billion (laughs) dollars i was watching an always sunny episode from like 2005 last night and uh i forget what the what episode it was but dennis is like four hundred dollars that's more than i make at the bar in a week yeah it's crazy because like four hundred dollars making that amount in a week you know that was never a lot but it certainly was a lot more in 2005 than it was here in 2023 if I only made $400 a week, I wouldn't be able to stay alive. No. It's crazy. I mean, I'd be able to stay alive, but I wouldn't be able to, you know, go get moles cut out of my back. And, crazy. you know, like 30% of the population lives that way. Yeah, it's really fucking Thanks, horrifying. Jeff Bezos. You know what? Now it's time to talk about the cops' pension. About the Because what? they get paid so much God to, about a cop's pension. I don't oh, think yeah. Popeye Doyle deserves his pension. <laughs> but alas, we're all going to pay into it, and they work to protect it. But um, um, I have a note here that... Um, oh, no, go ahead. If you have more notes, I can get into my notes in the second half since we're running out of time on our fucking Zoom. Fucking Zoom. He's got nothing, so I'll say it. One of the filmmaking things that I really liked in this that um, I've been watching a lot of Friedkin lately in the wake of his passing. It's a Friedkin I, you know, weekend. Noticed, it's a freaking weekend, baby. One of the things you are on fire. 
one of the one of the things that he does that I don't think I know of any other filmmaker, at least that I can name off the top of my head, is so we all know what an establishing shot is. Establishing shot, boom, they show the outside of yeah. Patty's pub, and then you go into Patty's pub. You know, boom, they show you the setting, and then you go in. There are so many scenes in this that the establishing shot doesn't cut away. It just zooms in, and yeah. then we get the action. He yeah. uses that so much in this movie, and it never occurred to me to notice that. And I've seen this movie a few times. It never occurred to me to notice that until after I watched a couple of Friedkin's documentaries back in the day, which have a ton of that in it. Just a ton of, like, going in. And it occurred to me when you're making a documentary, it's actually tough to have an establishing shot. Since you're filming real life, you don't really know when the scene is going to yeah. start. So the establishing shot comes in after the fact, which is why every fucking true crime documentary you watch starts with a drone shot flying over a small town because it just works that way. And so many of these documentaries that he makes don't have the establishing shot. The action just starts where it is and it gives it such a good energy. But I think it works for something like French Connection, which involves a fair amount of spying, you know, of, of tailing people. In that it gives you an almost fly-on-the-wall perspective of what's going on. When you're watching the criminals, you are watching them from the eyes of someone spying on them. Hence, from a distance, you know? Yeah. When you're watching the cops doing things that they shouldn't do, it's the same sort of thing. We're watching them from a distance, and this movie is allowing us that zoom in. And so thematically, these shots kind of tie in. And since it's the same way of establishing both criminals and crime fighters, we once again land on the theme of every cops and robber movie, which is we're not so different. You and I, a couple different circumstances. I could have been a cop, a couple different yeah. circumstances. I could have been a criminal. And then we go, Oh, they're the same thing. They're just on opposite sides of the law. And I just think a lot of that is found in the filmmaking here in interesting ways, even though that's such an evergreen theme, which, you know, speaks to how stubborn the cop problem is. And I think that like, I got a lot of like Steven Soderbergh vibes. So I think that he really was influenced by Friedkin a lot um, when it came to that, like zoom in shot. Oh, yeah. uh, and there was I mean, one, sex I... lies and videotape is shot very similarly. Yeah. Um, I have even a note like, here when you with watch, the uh... Uh, oceans 11, because Ocean's Eleven is a movie shot in montages. Yeah. And uh, I think this movie sort of has that feel in certain segments where they're not a montage, Definitely. but it has that sort of montage energy. And I 100% right. The restaurant right. scene. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I think you're spot on. Spot Soderbergh is, is more Friedkin influenced than I ever gave him credit for or thought to think. I think you're correct. Um, but the, speaking of the restaurant scene, I did have a note that said... Uh, that when they're like in the restaurant they have like this big spread and they're drinking wine and he's in the corner like huddled up in the rain munching on pizza and he drinks his coffee yeah. it sucks so he throws it on the ground and like the way that it's shot... that was served to him in a paper bag wrapped in a napkin by the way this predates yeah. personal pizza boxes um and i was like the way it was shot made me think is he like jealous of these criminals i think so I think it, it goes both ways where it's like, on the one hand, you know, this movie is critical of cops in, in that it's showing them abusing powers. But in a moment like that, it's also critical of crime just being like, isn't it fucked up that the guy who's supposed to be fighting for justice is living this gritty, awful life and the criminals doing bad things and putting heroin on the streets are actually kind of living high, living large. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's, I think it's moments like that that help 
to get people like you know the the dad who watches this and thinks Popeye's a good guy. Um, I think that sort of uh, they might read it the wrong way, but I think that sort of lubricates the idea of yeah. like running a parallel there because that's an entry point where you go these fucking bad guys they're living so large you know and that's an evergreen thing that that dads talk about and uh yeah so i think that that's that's definitely on purpose i just i've never been to a restaurant besides fogo to chow where the waiter comes up and actually cuts the meat for you Ooh, that was decadent dude um fogo to chow rules <laughs> and actually, I've never been to Fogo de Chao. It's Chima that I've been to. Uh, I think I've been to same both. Thing. Yeah, I think it's yeah. the same thing generally. Chima, I just believe, was ten dollars cheaper, which is my kind of place. I want to take. I want to merge Chuck E. Cheese and call it Chuck E. Chima's. Ooh, or Fogo de Chuckies. Oh, Fogo de Chuckies is so much better. <laughs> Fogo D. Cheese. Yeah. It's like Chuck E. Cheese. That's Fogo D. Cheese. <laughs> If you want more content like that, check out our other podcast, Hot Property. <laughs> property. At Hot Property Pod. <laughs> the um, only podcast featured in a tweet liked by Brian Unger. We'll talk about that next week. Um, and by only, I mean the only one I know of. I'm sure there's plenty. I really like the movie. I, I was so afraid. We haven't even that... talked about the ending. Let's take a break and talk about the ending. Uh, well, I'll say this. I was afraid when you picked this movie because... I think I have a sense of what kind of movies you like. And like, since this is like kind of an oddly paced and very like, you got to be keyed into this movie of tentatively watch it. I was like, I don't know if, if Steven's going to dig this so much. And I'm so glad that you dug it. If not for anything other than it's like just a chaos fueled insane. And you get to watch Gene Hackman yell at everybody. Gene, yeah. my favorite part well, was my favorite part. Here's before we break. I have a note here where he like goes up to a guy. He's like, "Who's running things here?" And the guy's like, "I am." He's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I yeah. am." Shut up, <laughs> dude. When he roughs up, he's that like, "Every one every guy, answer, no answer is good enough for him. He's gonna keep yelling at you." He's not even listening to the answers. Yeah, he's just going when he roughs up the one dude as a show. The guy who's his informant, and then he takes him back in the bathroom, and then they're cool. Yeah. That's so funny because like he's making a show of 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 being mean to this guy, and isn't quite succeeding because he's just more mean to the other guys naturally. Yeah, I wrote, like, I wrote down. I skipped this one too. I, I, when he wrote, when he walks in, he's like, "All right, Popeye's here." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's Popeye. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break and we'll come back with our lists. All right, Popeye's and coming. Some right more, back. some more stuff. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Dan. Just wanted to pop in and remind you to follow the show at Movie Movie Cast on all of the things. Check out my website, scullyvision.com, and uh, tune in every other week because we're going to have plenty more movie stuff coming at you. Check out our other show, Hot Property, at Hot Property Pod on all of the things. Please leave a review. Share it with your friends. These things really do help. I love you. I had a laughing fit during the break because I read a headline that just said watermelons are exploding all over America. 
<laughs> so what's the reason why they're fermenting too quickly or something i didn't read the full article but i i glanced at it it's something to do with ferment fermentation well read it and save it for hot property which can yeah. be found at hot property pod wherever you catch your podcasts also i want to at the, uh, quick, uh, at the um, top of the break i want to real quick plug a new project of mine uh i'm starting i'm dipping yes, my please toe do. into the realm of video game streaming uh currently streaming uh when i can at twitch.tv slash the sky captain sky is spelled with an e s k y e captain so twitch.tv slash the sky with an e captain you couldn't have made that any easier well my my moniker has been sky captain for a long time (laughs) and there's just an unfortunate e in there to keep with branding it's all good. I um I have never used Twitch, but I will I will use Twitch to log on and check it out because I, I feel like it would be fun. But um I wanted to mention the two like the big centerpiece of the French connection. Uh we would not we would be remiss to do a podcast yeah. about the French connection without talking about the subway dance and the car chasing the elevated train. Yeah. Dude, so let's yeah, talk I about would... the subway dance. I My was favorite like scene in the big movie. departed vibes. Yes, yes, yeah. very big departed vibes. Um, in the, the the subway dance scene, I think is one of it's the best like distillation of what Popeye Doyle is good at. And when I say is good at, I mean is not that good at. I said at the end, I was like, he is the worst cop I've ever fucking seen in my life. He's the worst cop, and he's he always gets made. Because he's so ostentatious. So he can't do any undercover work. And in the scene where he's chasing Elaine, the uh, Frenchman, uh, into the subway. And he know he, he doesn't know that he's made at first. Um, he's talking on the phone as the guy passes by. And he just starts you Wait, know, he's first doing he's yelling some bickering at his, about his captain. Or whatever. He's like, you motherfuckers didn't do your job. And now I'm yeah, now yeah, I'm dead. And then he's yeah. talking about it's like He's like... No, I'm not going to come in for that shift. You can tell those other bartenders to stop being sick. Goodbye, sir. And then he just hangs up the phone. He's like, "Can I have a purple drink?" And the, he's like, yeah, he keeps "I'll, I'll take grape drink." Every like almost to a hilarious, hilarious point, he keeps looking at Elaine, like, yeah, he's almost he's like it's an Arrested made. Development bit. And I, I was like, "Stop looking at him!" And then he chased him onto the subway. Elaine fakes him out. He takes the bait. What is rule number one? What do you do when you're made? I don't know. When you get made. uh, So if you're undercover and you get made, cut and run. That's it. You've been made. Do not pursue. It is over. Stop chasing this guy. And so he, he decides to chase the guy into the subway dance. And every time he goes into the subway, that guy pops off. And every time he pops so that guy pops back in so not only is popeye made he knows he's made and he is announcing how made he is to this guy and it ultimately leads to him like he's as tenacious as a cop should be but he ultimately loses because he's just a little too cocky to think that he's gonna outsmart this guy and then the dude is out of dodge back to france yeah but the way that scene is shot is so good because it is simultaneously hilarious like we've been saying and it's a really tense scene. I want that dude out on the train or whatever. Oh, 
You're Where'd you lose me? Real bad. All right, I'm back. You might you might want to turn your video off for this one. Okay, well, let me uh, let me give this just one more shot as to All what right. I was saying. Um, that scene I think finds both the comedy and the tension in yeah. in that moment, and I think that's so cool because I desperately want to see a scene where he gets on the train with that guy and they have a big showdown, but it doesn't happen because. Popeye is just a little too cocky and he's one step behind the guy in being made and the dude gets on the subway. But the way that scene is shot, I think capitalizes on how funny it is. It drives home the, the point that Popeye's good, but he's not great. Yeah. And it's a wildly tense scene where you want to know what's going to happen. Who's going to be the person who gets on the train or off the train at the right point. Yeah. And surprising nobody. It is not Popeye. Yeah. It's that frog as he frequently likes to call him. Um, so, like, when... Why did they come after him with a sniper? I missed that. Because because he was made. So, like, but that guy, escaped, that guy why talked... not just say fuck it and just cut and run? Because they know that Popeye might be stupid, but he's not going to stop because he's so fucking stupid. Ah, uh, got it. That makes no sense. matter what happens, he's just going to keep coming and he has nothing to live for except getting drunk <laughs> at the end of the night. So he's going and to keep coming, coming more. <laughs> so best to just off him. But that scene was great too. Yeah. Um, And that leads to probably the film's most iconic moment that everyone talks about the car chase in the French connection, which isn't even really a car chase. It is a train, train chase, chase where the pursuant is in a car that Popeye stole that car. Yeah. He carjacked a dude. Uh, he did the whole like, oh, I'm a cop, so I need your car, which I don't know if they're even allowed to do that. That's just something that happens in movies. I would love to know Police if this emergency. ever happened to anybody. Yeah, and the guy gave him his car, which he proceeded to absolutely wreck in one of the most brilliantly edited uh, chases I think I've ever seen in a, in a movie. Yeah, I, I loved it. It was great because it it was also like it had such an organic ending to it where the guy was just like so tired just gotten the plane the i mean the train crash was a little filmed a little weird but you know it's fine that's how that was done back then when yeah. you couldn't cry you, you know if you were going to crash a train you would have had to crash Nolan a train money back then uh yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> but uh um, this, this hadn't won best picture yet but uh yeah i mean i thought the whole scene was really well done and i just really enjoyed it i want to talk about the end real quick though because wait i want to say about that scene though before oh, we yeah, move yeah. away from it I love that um, even at the end of it, Doyle's dead tired. Like he executes the fuck out of that guy after he kind of falls on his side because he's been going upstairs, yeah. downstairs, doing all that. But I mean, he wrecked that guy's oh my car, God. that poor guy's car. But I meant to um, bring this up. Doyle's endurance as a portly oh, fellow is in incredible. A portly fellow who smokes, who eats, who drinks all the time. Yeah. He's just, he will not, yeah, he's not going to stop. I think but that, I love that. Good. Well, and I just I love that he is tired by the end. And this is the one time that he may have gotten a little bit of an edge on the guy, but to ensure it, he just has to execute him. And he blows that dude the fuck away. And then whoever the stuntman is that played that guy does a wonderful backwards tumble down the stairs. Yeah, that you just don't see anymore. It's an impressive stunt work. And do you think that like Popeye Doyle is like the archetype for our 80s? 
cops like Martin, he's, he's like our Martin the, Riggs and our uh, John McLeans. He's like part of the tapestry that led way to them because, like, I think they're meant to be heightened, whereas Almost he's like only heightened of Doyle. Yes, yeah, he's only heightened in so far as he's just so goddamn real that it's it's believable. Yeah, but yeah, that, that poor guy—he's not getting his car back. We can call it. He, oh, I took it, yeah. your vehicle, but like that guy's car is gone. He just got has carjacked it, essentially. Has that by ever Popeye. happened to you? What getting carjacked? No, no, get and getting your car uh, commandeered by a cop in a police emergency. Uh, no, uh, that's never happened. I don't. I don't three think times. that can happen. You got to be kidding me. Happened to me three times. You must be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. Anyway, I want to talk about the ending. So, can oh, you explain you to me bit. what? Face. When you froze up, you froze on a very smarmy face, and it just gave me a lot of entertainment. Um, so the ending is weird. He seems to not care about killing a federal officer. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, he didn't like that guy because that guy always gave him shit. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. Yeah, it was like, but like, here's here's how it ends. Here's how I observed the ending from uh, someone who's never seen it before. Um, Doyle and Buddy are on are in a building chasing the the bad guy, the the sniper. I forget his name. And uh, Doyle's like, he's in the, he's in that. He's, I'm gonna yell because he was already yelling. He's in that room. All right. Let's uh, go in there and get him. And then all of a sudden, the federal agent who's been giving uh, Popeye shit this whole fucking time just appears out of nowhere like a cardboard cutout in a training facility. And Popeye, without hesitation, unloads half his entire gun into him. Bang, bang, like bang, said, bang, realistic. bang. And then uh, Buddy's like, oh, my God. You shot... Etheridge or whatever his name is and but and Doyle's like oh, I know he's here the bad guy's <laughs> gotta be here and he just keeps running and then yeah and then it just ends and tells the story about uh in like text well, it doesn't end there's, there's a gunshot there's one before gun, it ends. a single gunshot and we are left to question is this one of those times where he does get his guy where he's one step ahead you know is it like the subway is it like the uh it's like the subway dance and he shot the wrong guy or got shot and since there's no sequel at that point we don't know yeah so what happens i mean in the sequel he's fine so i guess he got his guy i i have i have no clue they don't explain it no, in the second one, he just goes to France. They, he doesn't get the big French guy because the big French guy is still the bad guy in part two. But we know that because in the postscript, it says that he flew back to France and is still at large. So don't act shocked because they do tell you everything that happens. We just don't know what that gunshot is in relation to is what I mean to say. That's terrible. Well, that's the worst that's, news you could have given me. That's the, the because thing about... Before, this... Here's what happened. Here's what happened. At the beginning, before we started this podcast, I didn't know there was a sequel. Okay. Yeah. Then in the in the first half on my plate, you bestowed upon me the knowledge that there is in fact a sequel. So I got excited and I said to myself, "Wow, I can check out the sequel and figure out what happens in the gunshot scene." Because I hate 
being tantalized like that. Yeah. And I want an answer. See, and then I was like, I'll get an answer. And now you're telling me that I won't have that, Dan? I mean, I don't think that see whether you want an answer or not is irrelevant. You know, you're talking apparently, you know, you, you sound like a lost hater because the I idea is exactly the idea is not that that is not whether or not he shot a guy. It's that by the end of this movie, we know that that gunshot, you know, it could mean that he killed a guy. It could mean that he got killed. It could have really, killed another federal agent. No matter what it is, it doesn't mean anything because every postcard at the end shows how absolutely no justice was done. Everybody got away with it. Everybody got a reduced sentence or a tiny Except thing. Except for the actor. The big bad guy got away, but the actor who didn't even really know he was doing anything. Got four uh, years. He got four years. And that says everything. Anybody who thinks that this is like, that this is a, uh, you know, a copaganda movie. Uh, would be undercut by those cards because at the end of the day, it was like the bad guys got away. The good guys got away with doing very, very bad things. And an innocent person wore, had to, you know, not an innocent person, but like the most innocent amongst them had to carry it all on his shoulders. He had to do the time. And Justice someone's car was not got even stolen. touched. And someone's car got stolen and completely destroyed. <laughs> the worst part is like, like Popeye, as you were driving away and the guy was like, where do I go? Pick up my car. Yeah. You could have at least yelled out, call this precinct or like some some sort of helpful thing. But instead, no, nope. by the way, the door was still fully open. <laughs> yeah. He was not in the car yet. And in fact, I think he might have even been looking at this guy and just not yeah. not answering his question on purpose about where to pick up his car, which he was currently in the process of stealing. The the experience of watching that car chase though is great because the first half of it you're like, damn, he's actually a pretty skilled driver. And then he takes like the first big hit and it's like, oh, he's just lucky. This is all just luck. I also liked how they he's he's completely gonna fuck this car up. And I think that this is probably why definitely one of the reasons it won the Oscar. I like how like they it was real. It was a realistic car damage was done to the car he was tired from being in five or six uh consecutive car crashes <laughs> and so like in that sense keeping it grounded in that sense of realism and then having him shoot a foreigner really made it like like almost like today's modern cop yeah it's yeah. the the more things change the more they stay the same yeah that same the job attracts that kind of guy they're not Do all. You want to kill a Frenchman? A Join the Philadelphia Police Department. <laughs> Join the Legionnaires. Uh, um, well, you were saying we only fight ourselves. He likes to yell his way through things. Like even when they were chasing the the what they thought was the drug car and they got stuck in traffic. Popeye yeah. gets out of his own car to just yell generally yeah. at the traffic, and then. Roy Scheider, a uh, buddy, he gets on the radio and is just like, "Yeah, he's going down this street." And another cop's like, "Got it." You know, like, they're just yeah. On. And then later, when they're searching the drug car, um, and the guy's oh, just yeah. like, "I checked everything but this one part that I didn't check for some reason," <laughs> and Popeye's just like, "Hey, you gotta check everything. You gotta check everything." And the guy's like, "I, I checked everything." Dude, and then Buddy just goes, 
how much did the car weigh? How much does the car weigh? And he's like, this much? He's like, well, it's only supposed to weigh this much, so it's got to be in there. And they're yeah. like, ah, police work. And then they find it. Dude. And it's just so funny that he's always the police work guy, and Popeye's just <laughs> the yell at things until my partner does the police work for me. Wait, dude, I have this note written down where it's, it's man, where could all this heroin be? I don't know. Uh, I attack <laughs> it everywhere. Well, I don't buy it. Keep looking. Oh, Oh, no, I forgot about the secret the smuggling area in this car. I'm like, what the fuck? It literally is like Han Solo's fucking hideaway in yeah. this goddamn like Pontiac. By the way, 4,700 pounds is a lot for a, a car. Lot. Cars were big boys back then. Yeah, they were they were metal. They're, they're all plastic and fiber now. Damn. But yeah, that was so funny that they're just like... They're like, I checked everywhere. I where could it be? <laughs> like, we checked everywhere. Where could it be? It's like, I didn't check everywhere. It's like, well, where didn't you check? I didn't Dude. check here because it's never there. They he never do so, it in there. He was, was like, so well, can you certain. check there? No. And this was over two two separate scenes with something in the middle. In the first scene, he was like, I fucking checked everywhere, man. I don't know what you fucking what. Then you fucking look because I can't find it. And then something else happens. And then the next scene after that, he's like. Oh, you know what? Fucking, I totally forgot it. There's a whole fucking thing <laughs> underneath the CD. <laughs> I like to think that there's a whole scene that we lost that was just Popeye yelling at him and him being incredulous. And then it finally ends with Ray Shredder being like, hey, 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 I ran the numbers. It's got to be in there. Can we look it open? And the guy's like, yeah, it only take two seconds. <laughs> he was so resistant to it on principle. He's the Popeye of the mechanics. The, and then like Popeye met his match. After the whole bit's over, the mechanic and his like apprentice are just talking. He's like, so how come he didn't look in there? He's like, I fucking knew it was in there. That guy was a piece of shit. I didn't want to give it to him. <laughs> I tried to give him a hard time. I'm speaking his language. But then the other guy did some nice solid police work. And you know, Oops. I had to give it up for the boys in blue. I respect the boys in blue. That's what we yeah. do. A couple of my best dogs for my boys. A couple of my best dogs. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm i so glad you... That's, uh, of course, quoting Sonny. But I, I just, I'm so glad you liked this movie. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I was unsure whether you would be whether you'd be moved by it. I'm so deflated by your distaste for Blue Velvet, which I will get you on a David Lynch. Hey, uh, Blue Velvet sucks. At some point. You motherfucker. <laughs> you motherfucker. Um, Don Ellis, I just wanted to... Sh- sh- Shout out. Uh, Don Ellis was the composer for The French Connection. And uh, the, I think the music throughout is pretty fantastic. I liked Barbie's soundtrack better. I liked Barbie's soundtrack too, but we covered that in the last episode. Yeah. Um, and then also to uh, Gerald B. Greenberg, um, not related to Fogo D. Cheese. <laughs> I was um, say, is he part of the band? <laughs> yes. Yeah. He plays the piano in the, in the Fogo D. Cheese band. He is the editor of this movie, and this movie has some of the best editing I've ever seen in my whole life. And actually, you know what's crazy? You know what other movie I, I credit as having the best editing I've ever seen? Out of Sight, which is Soderbergh. So uh. maybe you're onto something, but he didn't do Out of Sight. This guy died in a, uh, or maybe 1978. He didn't do any anything like that. He did do the, uh, he did do the new Point Break, but. Uh, yeah, shout out to that guy because it's a, it's just like such a killer edit. Um, but I got nothing else to say. I just think William Friedkin is is one of the best, and to live and He's die in LA is best. one of the best. Sorcerer is one of the best. Exorcist is still considered the scariest movie ever ever made for good reason. 
um Friedkin it, it, he's and then he also does the hunted with Tommy Lee Jones and and uh Benicio del Toro that has no character development it's like 80 minutes long and it's just so much fun um but not not great Friedkin's the best so we will miss him and uh one of my faves R.I.P. to, to the the man the realist of deals word word shall we count down some of our favorite uh best picture winners yeah but i'm gonna have to insist you turn your camera off okay is it really bad it's been kind of jarbly and i think to save bandwidth i can just hit stop video yeah cool um i'll still let you look at me though right on you can look at my little avatar that i don't know what that picture is from it's probably from some kind of mental breakdown. Anyway, it's okay. Yeah, it's, it's not down great. our lists of best picture Oscar winners. Now, I will say this a little caveat out front. I've talked everything ever all at once to death. So I I just didn't even consider it for my list. Okay. Can we, can we take that off that as a team? Be, let's take it say, off as a team. Yeah. Cause I, I had it on my list and you know, I did love it. I've already brought it up on two other lists this year. Um, and it's one of the best. It's awesome. Let's just take it off the table as we all agree everyone loves this one. And it's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's just like, it's so recent. We've talked about it a lot. I've also talked The Godfather to death. So uh, I don't even like The Godfather. You're crazy. But so I just didn't want to consider Godfather. I also didn't want to consider Godfather too because Francis Ford Coppola also directed The Conversation that year, which I would say should have won Best Picture. Um, but I digress. So I just kind of try to have a decent... you want to take up a table though, because I still have seven. No, I uh, I I have it down to five, and I just Fuck. I decided to go through. Just I, I don't have a top five favorite, but just like I have reasons for these ones sticking out in my head. Also, and, heads uh, up, I'm not doing these in any particular order. It's impossible. Fair enough. I feel like that's probably the same for me. It so, was impossible to narrow uh, it down to five. I just, I'm going to go on gut because I like I said, I still have seven. And I gotta say, I I am also uh, shamefully I have not seen a lot of the earlier. Uh, I like, I maybe I think the earliest I go back might be seventy seven. Yes, yeah, same. Mine's like I think either late sixties, early seventies. Probably this like, one seventy two. I will say that each one of mine, I believe, is from a uh, two of them are in the same decade, but otherwise they're all different decades. So. All right, you want to go first? You want me to go first? You go first. I want to see how far I go back. All right, so um, my number five uh, entry... 59, Ben-Hur, I've seen that. Okay, is uh, I've actually not seen that. My number five is um, Clint Eastwood's killer western, Unforgiven. Mm. Uh, I think this one in 1990, I want to say. I'm not sure. Unforgiven, I actually only recently caught up with, but like truly 92. one of the best westerns I've ever seen. Um, it's got Gene Hackman in it. It's got Frank Stallone, and um, I think it has Frank Stallone. Maybe I'm thinking of Tombstone. I think he might be in both. I don't know. Shout out Frank Stallone. He's everywhere. Yeah, twenty-seven second cameos. Thank you, Frank Stallone. Frank, you thanks Stallone. Uh, no, Unforgiven just rules. It's an awesome western. I think it represents Clint Eastwood at the peak of his directorial prowess. I think it represents uh. In a weird way, it's like a memento mori sort of thing, except he has continued to live for, you know, improbably for another 40 years beyond that. And um, yeah, he's uh, or 31 years beyond that. Uh, uh, 
he's still kicking, but like right then I don't and there, think he's he, kicking. Nah, he's he's twitching. He's, he's got twitching. another movie coming out though. Um, but uh, are you he's serious? Like yeah, but he's like a one take Jake. He just gets it and goes and fixes oh. it afterwards, which is why I think some of his later movies are a little sloppy. But Unforgiven, I think, is like peak him really directing, peak him acting, as well as like a career retrospective on like, here's a guy that was making spaghetti westerns. Um, you know, he has the respect in in across B movies, across A movies, and then he won Best Picture by making what is agreed upon as one of the best westerns of all time. And it's just like, it's just also just a real it's a movie that watches exciting as hell so much fun great ending it, it, you know 10 out of 10 through and through and unforgiving i've never seen it oh man dude you would love it we should devote an episode to it it's i want to watch it with you it's incredible all right we'll do that one live then do that you will love it yes all right um, what's your five fuck me it's got to be the departed yes okay the departed rules i i Loved this movie so much. This defines for me such an era in my life where I was working in the movie theater, which I bring up way too much, uh, but it was my favorite job. And I still to this day miss it, even though I do what I love for a living. So I can't really complain. Um, but this was very special to me because this was the year that The Departed came out. And I was like, holy shit, this is a very special movie. Like it was just so well told. It was so it it like made me love movies again after leaving film school. And I, so much so that I started that year in 2006 to have a yearly Oscar party that went on for about a decade plus uh, that I even brought with me to Philadelphia here. So the departed. Uh, my my uh, Oscar party merged with yours early yeah. in our friendship. Yes, it did. And so that was the, fun. The departed is not only just a flawlessly executed film, but from an acting standpoint, from a, directorial standpoint I, me and my buddies quote the departed to each other all the fucking time uh if if ever i see my friend george there's usually going to be followed with a would you rather wipe my ass for me and it's just a great uh fucking just a great movie that i've bonded with many many friends over so i i knew this is going to be on your list, which is one That's of the why I wanted to get out of the way. Just out put it out first. Put it out first. Well, yeah. And I, I got to say this. there's There was this idea at the time, and I think it persists to this day, that the Academy awarded the Best Picture Oscar to The Departed because Scorsese was getting up in years and hadn't won yeah. Best Picture yet, and it was his turn. And I'm going to go ahead and say that, whereas maybe that was the motivations, maybe, maybe not, we'll never know. I think that regardless, The Departed deserves a Best Picture win. I think it is that good. I think it's one of Scorsese's best. Do you know what best. it beat out? I don't know what it beat out, but I just mean in terms of, like, there's this idea that it's somehow a lesser Scorsese. I think it's top-tier Scorsese. I, well, I, I think, think it's, that it's a, lot of, a lot of that is ruined by the culture surrounding it because it has become kind of adopted by your college bros as yeah like the new boondock saints as somebody you can look at and say oh yeah he likes the part like even when even when we do yeah but quotes, the boondock saints blows this is fucking good yeah but like i think but it has for two somebody who doesn't understand that it's it looks the same because the same idiots are continuously quoting it you know and and i know that's how we look when we do it but at the same time like it means a lot to me that we can bond over this movie and we understand it for what it is. It's a great story about everyone is a fucking criminal or 
uh, good guy, and it's mm, really not, not about so your station in life. I. It's about your moral integrity inside. There you go. Another cop movie that does it. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I hate I hate the idea of of judging movies based you know due to its worst fans. Fuck them. Sam, they don't speak for me. That's why my number four is Crash. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I've only seen Crash once. I know that it's like largely hated. I barely remember it. It beat Munich. Broke uh, that's Mountain, insane. Capote and Good Night and Good Luck. There's oh, no man. fucking way it's better than any of those movies. No, not at all. But I just I I don't remember the movie at all. So I like never do the pile on. But like I just don't remember it. But my yeah. number four is a movie that I absolutely adore. Wait, real uh, quick. Do you want to know a beat? The Departed beat. Oh yeah. Babel, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. And what was your first one? Oh, The Departed totally tur- uh, deserves to win. Unforgiven. First- Beat the crying game, a few good men, Howard Zand, and Scent of a Woman. Okay, I've never seen Scent of a Woman. I was actually thinking of watching that this weekend while I'm while I'm healing. Uh, my number four is Chicago. Ah, good, 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 good. I'm taking. I, I love, can take that off mine then. Okay, I love Chicago. I think it's just so brilliantly done. When you're adapting a musical to a movie, you have to simultaneously preserve what made it so special on stage and make enough creative choices that it validates turning it into cinema. And not since the original Side Story uh, had had it been done for my money, and Chicago knocked it out of the park. And I think West Side Story, the next one, did a pretty bang-up job, too. But Chicago just rules, and I knew nothing about it going in, so I was very compelled by the plot. I was shocked to find that both of the good guys were bad guys. And I love, love, love the John C. Riley performance of Mr. Cellophane. So that is an all-time great piece of cinema. And Chicago just rules. So Dude, Chicago's Chicago, for me, um, real quick, was the moment I was like, man, musicals are fucking cool. Yeah. Same. And then Moulin Rouge came out, like, I think two years later. And I was like, fuck yeah, musicals. Let's go. And then it all ends at Greatest Showman. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which we are doing. Chicago Chicago also beat out a who's who of other movies. All right, let's Dude. hear it. And then we got to move forward. Yeah. The Gangs in New York, The Hours, Ooh. Lord of the Rings, Ooh. The Two Towers, and The Penist. Wow! Wow! That's a that's a powerhouse. Good, good work, Chicago. And Bro- uh, Brody got best actor for the PS yeah. that year. That's wild. Um, mine is actually a horror movie. Silence, Silence of the Lambs. Lambs. Yeah, I I love. Uh, it's it's one of the horror movies that I watched before I started being too scared of them, and I thought it was just a really well well told story of just fucking oozing uncomfortability of just Anthony Hopkins making your fucking skin crawl and. Uh, you know, just the the whole aspect of everything just made everything worked so fucking well and did its job so well. Uh, and it's one of my favorite horror movies, uh, even though that list has a very small sample size. That it that is simply put, one of the best movies ever made. I yeah. mean, it just rules. It just rules. Uh, over quarantine, I watched the entire series of Hannibal, which is incredible. I highly recommend. I love me. And Mads. from there. I went and read all of the books that the like every Hannibal Lecter book, and then I watched every iteration of every movie based on them, like as a quarantine project. And it is just such fantastic material across the board. The books are all fantastic, but that movie is like that is peak. Um, Beauty and the Beast, Bugsy, JFK, Prince of Tides is who that beat. Okay. Out. 
All right, my number three is one that I had never actually uh, seen since I first watched it on videotape when it first came out. I went to the theater just recently for the 3D IMAX re-release of Titanic, and my number three is Titanic. Nice. Uh, Titanic turns into art James Cameron's obsession with detail. His obsession with detail matches the material perfectly. And it's just like a big sweeping action movie, an epic movie that has something for everybody. It has action. It has romance. It has history. It has special effects. It's really just like a movie for everybody. And like, find me someone who hates Titanic. And you're showing me someone who actually hasn't seen Titanic. And they're just going with a trend. It's so fucking good. And it's like... It's one of those movies that you go, that's why you go to the movies. And I I love Titanic. I, I will say though, his attention to detail didn't um hasn't stood the test of time. If you watch it today, the uh establishing shots of the boat, the people walking on it look like um PowerPoint oh, presentations. Yeah, yeah. But I think uh, they cleaned a little bit of that up for the re-release, but the yeah. Titanic drinking game i played in college anytime somebody said jack rose or titanic you drink and you'll be hammered before you have to switch to vhs's there you go titanic beat as good as it gets the full monty goodwill hunting and la confidential that's a pretty good list of uh yeah but i mean who's gonna beat titanic that was a cultural event well i think titanic might still be the most winningest movie like it won the most oscars uh maybe i think parasite maybe beat it Oh, maybe it's Lord of the Rings. I don't know. But yeah, but that was the year that Helen Hunt, star of Mad About You, beat Kate Winslet. Yeah. That's awesome. That's wild. All right, um, hit me with your three. That is Parasite. I loved it. Oh, right on. Um, I thought every... So there's this fucking... They still haven't fixed it. For the last like, year and a half, there's this light that on my route where I walk BB that just keeps flashing at night. And I think that there's somebody trapped in the basement. There you go. I'm working on it. But the maybe fact you should that, break like, in. The fact that that's what I think about means that this movie is one of those things that definitely sticks with you. And it's just, it's such a great uh, reflection of uh, like a class system and how that affects, you know, people that are at the bottom, just hustling and grinding for every cent and every like scrounging for every nickel. Like it's just a, like what people do when they are desperate, really. It's, it's a wild story about how, how we're pushed to our limits. I think that's one of those movies that like is the classic definition of a movie movie in that no aspect of cinema remains unused. The visuals serve the story as well as the acting as well. Just every level of it is keyed in a brilliant movie, like truly a perfect movie. And one that like when you go in blind is so consistently surprising that it's, it's entertaining, but doesn't hinge upon those surprises because it remains very rewatchable. Definitely. And this beat out a bunch of fucking movies because they expanded the tenant. We were running out of time, so go ahead. All right. My number two is Annie Hall. Um, you know, whatever baggage comes with it, we don't have time to get into it, but I'm a big fan. No, of let's of, do it. No, Episode I'm, three. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the work of Woody Allen, and Annie Hall really remains the best distillation of both what he uh, does as a filmmaker, as well as what he contributed to uh, filmmaking on the whole in terms of style and design. And, you know, the way that he resynthesized the, the, you know, previous directors to, to apply it to his style. It's just brilliantly funny. It's a really, really good movie. Fucking Paul Simon is the bad guy or the antagonist. And um, 
you know, it's it's my it's one of my favorite works from one of my favorite Betty filmmakers. Uh, what is that? Do you call him Betty or Al? Um, we'll go with Al. And um, yeah, it's just a it's there's a reason why this movie like caused a you know a fashion movement. There's a reason why this movie remains quoted, and it's actually the first uh, non speaking role from one Sigourney Weaver. But Annie Hall rules. So shout out shout out to Annie Hall. I've never seen two. it, but it beat Star Wars. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, my number two is Moonlight. Oh, great movie. Uh, Moonlight made me cry and made me, but like in a beautiful way. Mm. It was, it was such a great story to tell about, you know, love, loss, and kind of finding yourself. And, um, fucking Mahershala Ali turned in just a spectacular performance. Uh, and I that was one as soon as like it moved on to the third segment and Mahershala's segment was over like everybody was like oh there's the Oscar yeah he got it right there so it was so clear as day Um, but I love that movie it was so fucking nuanced and perfect in every way that movie is such a healthy cry and that beat out La La Land in the last second (laughs) yeah and I loved La La Land, but that was so wonderful after Warren Beatty fucked up when the La La Land producer was like, "Yeah, it's my honor, privilege to give this to you." That was and such correctly a good so. I I think uh, Moonlight deserved that win. Yeah, me too. All right, my number one is a movie that um, I love, I adore, I cried my eyes out at this movie, and it's just it it's everything I love about movies wrapped into one. And when it was nominated for Best Picture. I chuckled because I was like, oh, you know, of course it was nominated because it's by this certain filmmaker who's like kind of a beloved name. But like, this isn't the kind of thing that wins. But lo and behold, the touching romance between a woman and a fish penis did win. And The Shape of Water is number one on my list. I think that movie is just brilliant. And I thought the Academy doesn't have the balls to make something like this win. And lo and behold, it won. I was so surprised and... I don't know. There, I, there's nothing more I can say about that movie besides I, I think it's just like a, a towering achievement. Um, I thought it was good. I thought Three of Billboards was better, but I do love Guillermo's just sense of story and like world and just he knows how to set a fucking table, let me tell you. Yeah, it's it's his his best work, I would say. Uh, my yeah. number one is the sting come on oh I've, I've never seen it dude it's the closest i can get to you know 11 movie on the list um i love it robert redford and paul newman are your classic grifters it's a great story i was in the play as a as a high schooler so maybe i'll watch that this place weekend. in my heart it's a very good movie quick let's do some plugs go 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 I'm going to watch The Sting this weekend. You can check out everything I do at scullyvision.com. You can check out this show at Movie Movie Cast. We've got to rework our list so that we have more details at the end rather than the beginning. But anyway, uh, uh, scullyvision.com, hot property pod for our other show. I love you. Uh, BBA underscore the Corgi and Sky Captain uh, with an E on Twitch and Instagram. Uh, fuck Zoom, man. Sky Captain Gaming. What? Said, fuck Zoom. This sucks. I hate doing this. I know. Fucking <laughs> fuck Zoom. All right. Fuck that's Zoom. Movie. Fuck Zoom. Fuck Zoom. Bye.